Welcome to the AHA Process webinar podcast series. In this installment, Gary Ruddick, the former police chief of Tulsa Public Schools, discusses how first responders can use strategies from tactical communication. Chief Ruddick shows us that understanding the hidden rules of different economic classes can keep police and other first responders safe and make them more effective on the job. Thank you. It's good to be with all of you here and uh, to see that we're we're represented uh, with several different groups. Some of you are familiar with the Bridges uh, work and some of you are um, trainers. And I see that we have a, a mix of uh, representatives from law enforcement as well as, as other groups. And so uh, since my focus and my background is primarily law enforcement, um, I, I don't want anybody to assume that I'm just speaking to police officers or police executives here, although that is probably my forte. Uh, the truth is, is that all citizens are and should be concerned with uh, how law enforcement performs. And I think that uh, regardless of the discipline that you represent, you're going to be able to go back and talk to your respective law enforcement agency or uh, law enforcement executives and discuss the advantages of having uh, bridges uh, introduced into your, into your communities. A little bit more about uh, why I feel like this is important and how I got into it. Uh, as, as a law enforcement officer, career law enforcement officer, but particularly as a law enforcement executive, uh, I've really found that using the uh, concepts related to the Bridges program uh, as it's emphasized in tactical communication that Jody put together uh, really helped my people to understand better the people that they were trying to serve and, and, uh, and in the policing uh, aspect. Uh, we recently uh, did a program for uh, the Norman, Oklahoma Police Department. Many of you are, are aware of uh, Norman, Oklahoma. It's the, where the University of Oklahoma is, is uh, situated. And we did this for all the officers at the Norman Police Department. When I created the uh, uh, Tulsa Public Schools Campus Police Organization because of the large number of students coming from generational poverty, uh, we felt like this was going to be a very effective program to teach law enforcement officers and security officers how to better relate to and understand the kids that they were dealing with in the school systems and their parents that came from generational poverty. So uh, it's it's just been a really, a really great program and uh, something that I, I feel very strongly about. I hope uh, that you're uh, excited about uh, the uh, prospects for what this can do. Uh, I want you to imagine, if you will, that you are in Walmart and you're walking around and uh, as you're walking in the food section at Walmart, you see an old man that looks a lot like me with gray hair and I'm serving up smoked sausage samples. And uh, so as we're serving up smoked sausage samples, this is what you're going to get today. A smoked sausage sample of the, uh, the full course of a tactical communication class. So we're going to be very brief and skim over this, try to hit the highlights. Those of you familiar with Bridges will recognize many of these concepts. Those of you that are not, uh, take the time to, to read some of the work that Dr. Payne and Jody have done and become familiar with it. I think you'll find that it, it has a great applicability to the world of law enforcement. Uh, so we're going to get started here. Uh, let me say, first of all, thank you so much for David. Uh, David Conrad is uh, the brains behind this whole thing. Uh, and so if I stumble or fall, he will be there to pick me up. I'm sure of that. So here we go. The guiding principles for AHA process. Uh, this is some of the work. If you're not familiar with, with the, uh, the, the framework for understanding poverty by Dr. Payne and uh, 
bridges out of poverty. These are the these are the precepts that tactical communication uh, was based on. And uh, when I talk with law enforcement executives, what I try to stress here is is uh, this training uh, does uh, does a couple of things for law enforcement officers. Uh, first of all. Uh, it makes them more effective because they can communicate better, uh, understand the value of developing, uh, developing relationships. Uh, it helps to de-escalate conflict. And when you're able to de-escalate more effectively, it makes the officers safer. So uh, in, in, in my world, the appeal to law enforcement, and I think the appeal to the community at large is, if it makes your police officers, your police departments more effective, uh, makes your officers safer, thus making the citizens safer by de-escalating conflict. And one of the things I've noticed too is it seems to it seems to um, help officers not be quite as stressed over and as frustrated with dealing with people that they're they're uh, having difficulty understanding. So I think it lowers the stress level a little bit too. Some of the objectives that we have here for a, uh, a class when we put on tactical communication is to help uh, the students understand uh, the mental models of poverty, the hidden rules, uh, a little bit about language registers, uh, how the people that they're dealing with discuss topics, and understanding uh, resources that the police department and community have and how those can work better to, uh, to improve police community relations. We start with uh, a, a little exercise uh, in, uh, for, for uh, naming the traits of a bad leader and those of a good leader. And, and as we have students write those down, uh, we end up discussing what are those responses. And we, we have quite a discussion about, <coughs> excuse me, uh, what are the traits of a good leader and a bad leader and how uh, people respond to leaders. As a result of that, we turn that to say that we have to recognize and agree that police officers are in fact um, uh, leaders in a community. Uh, whether they recognize that or not, or even if they agree with it, the truth is police officers are leaders in a community. Uh, whenever I was a, a chief of police in a small community in Oklahoma, I absolutely, I could not go to the store, I couldn't go to church, I couldn't go to a lot of places without having someone come up and discuss with me uh, one of their problems. They look to police officers as the solution to a lot of different issues in their lives. Um, so we discuss the economic classes and this is something quite frankly that police officers are very uh, unfamiliar with. You would think that they receive some training in these in these topics, they really don't. Um, what we, what we try to uh, explain is a little bit about uh, uh, the definitions uh, using some statistics and some figures on where poverty falls, where middle class falls, where wealth wealth falls, and discussing uh, the, the uh, different classes that, that uh, a police department is expected to serve. Uh, we explain about situational and generational poverty. Uh, these, are t these are concepts that although police officers are not trained in or familiar with for the most part, uh, as soon as you put it up there and, and you start talking about it, they go, oh, you know, they nod their head and they understand very clearly uh, what the differences are and they understand uh, that they have dealt with people in both situational and generational poverty. Uh, one of the things that, that uh, police officers uh, 
do not recognize readily is that there are hidden rules. And that's, I think that's true even of, uh, of other disciplines. Uh, my wife is an educator, and that's really how I kind of got into the Bridges uh, program was uh, when your wife says, uh, you know, you, you need to go with me to hear Dr. Payne talk about her, her work. Um, when you've been married 36 years, if you want to be thir married 37 years, you go ahead and go. So uh, I went and uh, understood that uh, while I recognized what she was talking about uh, in discussing hidden rules, the applicability of that to what, where I was at in, in law enforcement uh, was really new. So uh, it, was, it was good to know, and, and I learned a lot there, and I think most officers do, uh, uh, even citizens in the community, when they're presented with this, nod their head, they're, they're agreeing with you, they understand exactly what's going on. Uh, but what we, what we have to recognize when we get into this is uh, that, that there are uh, uh, driving forces behind the hidden rules. And uh, most police officers readily uh, agree and will recognize the, the issues of survival and uh, uh, some of the things in poverty, some they will not. They will, they will uh, recognize that in the middle class is pretty much where most law enforcement officers are, are, uh, are at and what they are trying to achieve. And so uh, when we look at that, uh, this is where we do the, uh, the circles. If you're familiar with the Bridges work, is where we have you draw a circle and uh, tell us about uh, what involves a, a day with a person in poverty, what kind of businesses are in areas of distinct poverty, uh, what's, what's a day like in an uh, average middle class person, what businesses are in those communities. This is, uh, this is a, a, an exercise that we perform in the training that helps uh, to vis uh, visually understand better uh, where, where people are at and what they're really dealing with. And uh, this is kind of an eye opener because again, as, as law enforcement particularly, we'll look at these uh, and say, uh, um, I recognize these. Um, they, they, don't, they don't think about it or discuss it a lot in the work. So this helps to give a visual representation of, of uh, where they're at. We spend some time on this issue, and uh, a lot of the work that I that I put into or I refer to in these presentations comes from some work done by uh, Dr. Kevin Gilmartin. Dr. Gilmartin is a retired uh, Pima County deputy out of Arizona, and wrote a book called "Emotional Survival for Law Enforcement Officers." And uh, when you understand a little bit better uh, the emotional uh, and psychological stressors that uh, that mold police officers into what they are, what they become, uh, you understand a little bit better the, the uh, challenges of how they relate to people in poverty and middle class and wealth. And this is one of the things that we kind of uh, try to stress is you have to recognize and, and understand where you come from. And most police officers are, uh, are brought from the middle class. Uh, they they uh, have middle class uh, backgrounds. Um, you, don't, uh, you don't see people coming generally. You do not recruit from areas of the community that, uh, that are experiencing generational poverty. People who rise from poverty and are able to get their education break some of the, um, uh, some of the 
consistencies that we see, some of the hidden rules, they break away from some of those and, and make very good police officers. But typically we recruit from a middle class environment uh, and, and expect police officers to adopt and adapt into the middle class world. Uh, it's all about education. It's all about training, uh, career, uh, retirement, benefits. Those are things that while you're in poverty, seems so far away, so distant and unachievable, they are pretty much a staple within the law enforcement world. So uh, even after you join a law enforcement agency, this, this, uh, the idea is as you proceed in your law enforcement career, middle class uh, rules, the hidden rules of middle class become more and more prevalent and, and begin to mold you into the type of uh, police officer and, the, and, the, and your performance in the community. Uh, but then we take someone with middle class uh, uh, rural experience, we teach them the middle class rules, put them in a middle class environment at work, and then when we ask them to go out and uh, patrol the streets of a community, where do we put them? Well, we put them in the, uh, in the areas that are generally uh, ridden with poverty, uh, with high calls for service, uh, people who are in wealth do not call law enforcement for many of the challenges of their lives. But in uh, poverty-stricken areas, uh, you get calls all the time that are not necessarily police-related. Uh, whenever I was at Tulsa Public Schools as the campus police chief, uh, it was not uh, uncommon at all on a daily basis for frustrated parents in poverty to call and say, I can't get my child out of bed. I can't get my child to go to school. I need you to come and help me to get my child to go to school. Uh, some of the most uh, uh, personal items, uh, personal uh, uh, issues within a family are presented to police officers for service and for conflict resolution. Uh, this can be very frustrating to people who uh, exist and survive, work in a middle-class environment, to go back into these areas and uh, to understand what is happening. It gets to be frustrating. Uh, so uh, one of the things that, that you learn in law enforcement is, is older officers, whether they even recognize it, and most of them don't recognize why they do it, is they get fewer complaints. They are able to de-escalate more effectively and to avoid conflict more effectively. And, and if you ask them how they're able to do it, they say, well, I'm just able to talk to people. I've learned how to talk to people. But what they've really learned is the value of, of relationships. They've learned the value of how to talk with people who come from these uh, poverty environments. And so that's what we need to teach uh, to our uh, uh, emergency responders, police, firemen, uh, emergency medical workers, uh, emergency responders who are, are um, existing in a middle-class environment have difficulty understanding and relating to the struggles of people in poverty. So uh, from the training uh, perspective, what we're trying to do is, is to enlighten people as to why do people who are in generational poverty do some of the things they do. And when you understand it better, uh, you're able then to look past some of the things that might frustrate you or confuse you to help build those relationships necessary to make your work effective. Uh, we talk about, for police officers, uh, what makes, uh, you know, what's a good day for a police officer. Uh, most of them will say, any day that I go home safe is a good day. Uh, 
this is a this is a different perspective than most citizens think of. If you're in any other business, whether you're in uh, um, accounting or banking or uh, public service of some kind, and uh, plumbing, electrical, you don't you don't go out thinking I I need to be able to come home safe today. I hope I don't get anybody hurt. I hope I don't get hurt. Uh, those type of situations then. Uh, we tend to emphasize those to the point that it makes it difficult to to build relationships with people. Uh, one of the uh, one of the officers that worked for me uh, for a while um, was uh, was complained on uh, regularly because he refused to shake hands with people. He cited it as an officer safety issue that shaking hands uh, put him at a at a disadvantage. Um, for people from poverty, they only saw that as uh, racially motivated uh, prejudice and as, uh, as a way of insulting those people who wanted to shake hands. How do we, how do we uh, bridge the gap uh, so that officers remain safe, uh, understand that they are doing things that help to make them safe, help to make others safe, but still are able to build the relationships necessary to be effective? So we have to we have to balance this uh, uh, the training the, the the training emphasis for law enforcement for firefighters for emergency responders that is we want to keep you safe we need to balance that with how do you build relationships. One of the questions that we ask is uh, what percentage of the calls you respond to are those living in poverty and by far and away law enforcement recognizes that the overwhelming majority of their calls are for people in poverty. But here's the other question: Are those outcomes as successful as they are with people in middle class and wealth, and if they're not, why not? And that gets back then to discussing what are the rules. <coughs> excuse me, in uh, generational poverty, uh, as opposed to what are the hidden rules within uh, middle class and wealth. And so we use uh, the the, uh, the same uh, graph here or the same uh, slide that you will see in in Ruby's work. Uh, for discussion on the differences here uh, in food, money, uh, we stress about the education. We talk about education, humor, uh, and and we try to uh, present to emergency responders the idea that some of the things that you're seeing are about the hidden rules within the the uh, economic class that, that people are surviving in. It's not necessarily a threat. It's not necessarily uh, uh, intended to be confrontational. It's not disrespect. Uh, it's this, it's some of the same things, uh, and I always use this analogy. We have taught law enforcement officers for the past 20 years that when you deal with persons from an, uh, uh, an Asian culture, that many times they will not look the officer in the eye. They, they look down, they look at the ground, and they will not make eye contact because to do so is a sign of an insult. To show respect to a person in authority, uh, you never look them in the face or, or in the eyes. Uh, that is a hidden rule within that, uh, that group of people's uh, culture. We try to do the same thing here with persons uh, not just in poverty but in wealth and middle class. Uh, I've, had, I've had officers who have tremendous uh, conflict <laughs> problems with persons in wealth. Uh, it, it may start with the fact that uh, you answer an alarm call at a multi-million dollar estate and they tell you to come in the back door. 
instantly the officer is put off. Instantly the officer is offended. Uh, but how, but why is that? It's because he's coming from a middle class perspective, doesn't understand the rules of wealth, and uh, as a result, uh, there is a, a potential for conflict there. Uh, so in discussion of the different rules uh, unique to the classes, we're able to uh, to open some eyes and uh, to to get people to understand much better um, what it, the the people that you're serving. There's actually three tools that we want officers to walk away with or emergency responders, firefighters and emergency responders to look at and say, here, we want you to have three tools to put in your belt. This is just like your handcuffs, your pepper spray, your gun, any other, your flashlight. These are tools. Uh, the number one tool that we want you to understand is, is that while uh, in a middle class or wealth environment, the badge, the uniform and the gun may gain you instant respect and some level of power and uh, compliance, that is not necessarily true in the poverty environment, particularly generational poverty. It's not about the badge, it's more about relationships. And we use examples uh, and discussions about uh, why it is that relationships are, are more powerful. If you're trying to gain uh, compliance, if you're trying to gain support and understanding from the community that you're serving, it's really all about relationships. And then we have to talk about how you do that. How do you build a relationship with someone who says, I don't want a relationship with you? Uh, that was a particular problem when we had the campus police department because we had kids coming in 15, 16, 17 years old who from the time that they're crawling around in diapers have heard that the police are unfair, corrupt, uh, arbitrary, brutal. Um, so how do you build a relationship with somebody who has a preconceived notion about who you are and what you do? So we discuss ideas about how to do that. Uh, rule number two, or tool number two, is uh, a discussion about uh, some of the previous slides that we would present about uh, uh, registers and, and voice, and uh, using examples of people in poverty and police uh, communications with them, how that can be made better, uh, how to understand it better. And uh, to get away from the idea that most police officers, uh, when they come in, uh, are, are it's, it's really become more for law enforcement about the idea of, I've got to get the information, I've got to get it recorded, and I've got to get on to the next call. This is a, a radio-driven, a call-driven, a service-driven uh, profession now. And so I just need to get the information as quickly as I can and get on to the next call. Well, that does not uh, provide the time necessary to build relationships and it can be offensive to people who are trying to communicate uh, to you. So we have to understand um, that correcting people and ch trying to force them into our language uh, and the lack of patience uh, contributes to conflict and the escalation of conflict. And so listening can be a, a great tool here. Uh, the last tool that we talk about is a method of reasoning. Uh, when you're when you're dealing with uh, persons in poverty, and you're trying to convince them uh, to to change behavior, uh, a lot of what they uh, a lot of the reason that they don't is because they don't feel they have a choice. Uh, particularly in a police presence or the, in the presence of of emergency responders, people in poverty tend to believe they have no power, uh, and so a lot of conflict occurs when. Uh, Emergency responders look at people and say, well, you're trying to take my power. And the truth is, is that people are not trying to take uh, your power. They're trying to, they're just trying to get a little bit of control over their own lives 
they don't want your power. They're just trying to get some of their own. So here's your opportunity to, to, uh, to make a difference here and to build that relationship by giving them a choice. When you tell people that you have a choice, I found that this works tremendously well with, uh, with the young people uh, in the school systems. Uh, when we were policing uh, by, by not just telling them what they will do, but, but giving them the choice was very effective. Um, and then we discussed resources. Uh, the definition of crisis here is a situation in which an individual department or community has little to no resources upon which to draw. And I think that's where a lot of our communities are today is they either don't have the resources or they don't recognize that resources are present or can be created uh, and they're just, they're just um, uh, sustaining the status quo. Uh, when people are in a crisis and there's no resources to draw from, the, the single... Uh, the single most prominent emotional response to that is anger. Uh, I think people get angry. And um, I, I see this a lot with young people uh, in the school systems. When you talk with them and you ask them, uh, you know, what's wrong? You can see that they're angry and you say, why are you angry? And the most common response is, I don't know. They really don't know why they're angry, uh, but it really has a lot to do with the fact that uh, whatever crisis that they find themselves in, there are no resources. So uh, we spend some time then in, the, in this uh, course of study uh, to discuss eight specific areas where resources are identified and are critical. Uh, and then during that course of conversation to try to, uh, to identify uh, or uh, uncover uh, resources that might be present and are not being used or maybe resources that can be created and then different options and I try to try to discuss uh, some ideas of options that law enforcement can or emergency responders can uh, propose or advocate for in the community to try to uh, help build the relationships necessary to uh, create better support for law enforcement, for emergency responders, and for the community at large. So that's really uh, a, a lot about what we're trying to do with this particular program. Uh, the end result is, is through the development of relationships, uh, you're, you're able to, to make your law enforcement agency more effective. The problem with a lot of, uh, a lot of law enforcement agencies is, uh, and emergency responder agencies is we look at these situations and we believe that uh, our only, our only uh, out is more people. And uh, as, a, as a chief of police, I can tell you, I, I never got all the money I thought I should have gotten. I never got all the people I, I, I thought I needed. That's a constant struggle. Uh, so uh, you have to look for other ways. And I think one of the ways that we make ourselves more effective is while we continue to advocate for more funding and more people is we advocate for better different training to understand people better. And I've, I've rarely seen this type of training from the Bridges perspective uh, in, law, in the law enforcement communities. But as we can see uh, what's happening in law enforcement today, uh, I would tell people, you know, policing's a tough gig today. It's, it's a tough, tough profession. But I think we can improve uh, the relationships and the uh, reputation of law enforcement if we are able to better understand the people that we're serving. And because the poverty class particularly is growing uh, exponentially, we have to find ways to build those relationships with people. 
And uh, so I think this training is extremely important and helps to helps us to do that. So with that being said, now I'm about 30 minutes in and we wanted to give some time for questions uh, and discussion here. I see uh, Aspen Matthews. Aspen, uh, I didn't see where you were from, but it's how do you recommend getting in the door with our local law enforcement? What information can we give them to make it meaningful so they are interested in learning more? Um, uh, I think, you know, from a chief of police standpoint, uh, I always uh, uh, felt like it was it was better uh, that people approached me in a group as a group rather than an, as an individual. Uh, that's why I, I and I've seen this happen. Uh, Aspen, I think this is very effective. Is that there are bridges groups in certain communities. There's a bridges group in Muskogee, Oklahoma, for instance, and and they're moving toward having their police department. Uh, trained in this, and and I thought it was very effective that as a group, uh, they had a leader, but they met with the with the chief of police, and said, "Hey, here are some here are some concepts, here are some ideas, and we're willing to help you uh, initiate this in the community, uh, but we want to we want to see your officers be trained, even uh, to the street level officer. How can we how can we get that accomplished?" Uh, and, uh, and one of the carrots, if you want to call it a carrot, that I think works very well is, is, is the training accredited or certified by the state accreditation agency so that officers get continuing education credit. That's a great carrot. Most, uh, most law enforcement agencies uh, across the nation uh, will have uh, continuing education uh, requirements. If you're if you're training, our training or any training is certified or accredited, and they get continuing education credits for those, it's you're automatically you've got a foot in the door. So the first thing you'd like to do is in meeting with the chief of police is to say we want to have this training. We think it's beneficial for the community, and we know that uh, continuing education credits are important to you. How do we get that done? How do we get it accredited so that your officers get uh, the training uh, annual uh, CEUs that uh, that are beneficial to them. That's always a big uh, a big thing for them. I, I would also say uh, anytime you can advocate a a type of of uh, training that says this is going to make your officers more effective but safer, the effectiveness appeals to the to the chief. The safety issue appeals to the individual officer. This is going to teach you how to dis deescalate. Uh, conflict so that you don't get into those situations where there's there's no win, uh, you know, no one wins on these things. Uh, we we're, we're trying to keep you out uh, out of the CNN spotlight. You don't want to be the uh, video uh, that's uh, gone viral on Facebook. So we can keep you out of that by teaching you how to de-escalate conflict. I wonder, Gary, you mentioned video. I wonder, do you have a a thought on sort of the trend towards body cameras nationally with, with police departments? Uh, you know, I think that's that's uh, one of the things that's it's, it's just going to happen. We're, we're going to see more and more body cameras, more video cameras, uh, and and that's just it's just going to happen that, that we move forward with that. Uh, and, and the truth is, is what we have to train uh, emergency responders about is it doesn't matter whether you have a body camera or a car camera or not. Every individual walking the streets of a community today has a camera. They have a video camera. And so whether you're videoing it or not, they are. So you may as well have your video that you know cannot be corrupted, cannot be uh, adjusted or tampered with. 
let's get the entire story and not just a snippet or uh, a part of the a part of the story that uh, some citizen may put out there to make the officer look bad uh, from a, a 60 second video from something that actually was about three minutes in making. So it's not like uh, it's not a case where it's not going to be videoed. It is. And so what we're trying, what I tell people today is, listen, um, it's going to be videoed. You need to make sure that you understand that every encounter that you have has the potential to be posted and go viral. Uh, that's a tremendous uh, stressor. It's a tremendous responsibility. Right. And so just get ready for it. I see uh, uh, Naomi Garcia said to repeat the author and title of the resource, Emotional Survival for Law Enforcement was uh, a, uh, uh, the doctoral work of Dr. Kevin Gilmartin, uh, a former Pima County Sheriff's Deputy. Uh, and that, that, uh, it's a great book. I recommend that every, every person interested in law enforcement look at that book. I tell people that if I had read that when I started, I'd have been a better father and a better husband than I was. My wife would agree with that, I think. Thank you, Gary. Um, if we, there are no other questions, folks, we can go ahead and uh, bring it to a close. I want to take the opportunity to... Thanks one more time, Gary, and everyone have a great day, good weekend. See you next time. Thank you, David. This has been an AHA Process webinar podcast. Visit ahaprocess.com for more. Royalty-free music courtesy of Sound.com.